Hi, I'm Daryl Bailey, Service for Christ. As we get back into the Gospel of John, the identity of Jesus, here we look at John chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. Get your Bibles with us, and as we get ready to go into the wonderful Word of God, amen, uh, we see uh, here that Jesus encounters uh, some disbelief in Nazareth in verses 1 through 10, and then the vision that Jesus encounters in Jerusalem in verses 11 all the way down to verse 53. Now, in the last chapter, the followers of Christ, they had forsook the Lord. And so the price to follow Christ was too high for some. After the multitudes left, he asked if the disciples would also leave. In John chapter 6, verses 67, Peter assured the Lord of their faith in him. And when we come to chapter 7, the atmosphere in Israel is now getting hostile toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when we look at the conditions of this, I want to welcome everyone of you to come and be with us at Bethel Crossroads Baptist Church. We're located at 450 Iron Hill Road, Taylorville, Georgia, 30178. Come and be with us if you're not currently involved in a Bible study or in church, and be with us on behalf of Pastor Keith Dipsey. Come and be with us for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11, and also on Wednesday nights, our Kids for Christ with Rusty and Lynn Lanier, and then our Bible study out in the building number two from six to seven as well. Please, we'd love to have you. Now, when we look at John chapter seven, according to John seven, why was Jesus avoiding the region of Judea? Well, there's four possibilities. It was because of Herod. B, it was because the Jews sought to kill him. C, it was because he was unpopular. D, it was because of the unbelief of the people there. And so think about it. The first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle aside from the resurrection. And so here we look and we realize that uh, the answer is B. In John chapter 7, verse 2, it was because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, as we move on, Jesus encounters disbelief in Nazareth and division in Jerusalem. Here, February the 28th, 2024, the 19th of Adar, the first 5784 of the Hebrew calendar. Here is we'll be talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. And as we look at the location here, the Jews were now seeking to kill Christ. And so when we look at this, we're reminded of all the things, especially as Jesus encounters all of this disbelief in verses 1 through 10. Now, uh, we deal with ridicule in verses 1 through 5. Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, they laugh at the claims of their older half-brother uh, with the disbelief that they have about him. Now, can you imagine your own family uh, not agreeing with you? Here was the Son of God, and yet he had these half-relatives that did not, at this time, agree with him and believe about him being who he says he is. Later on, they do. Now, this is the seventh chapter and the seventh Hebrew alphabet of Zayin, which represents the crown, a sharp weapon, the struggle, and the weapon of the spirit. Now, we're going to see a struggle in this seventh chapter that's going to take place as each and every one 
of the Hebrew alphabet out of the 22, 21 of them will represent each one of the chapters of the book of John. Now, here as we start out in the scripture, let's have a word of prayer. Father, you're with us each and every day as we put on the armor of God. And Lord, here in our Wednesday in the word, we're so thankful for this opportunity. I want to pray, Lord, for all of our ones in our uh, church family that are going through death. I, call, I pray for the Baloo family. Lord, that'll be having a memorial this coming Saturday. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'll uh, watch over them. Lord, as, as uh, Lord, the family comes together, Lord, we just thank you for uh, Dr. Carl Ballou and how precious he was in our life and the times that we got to spend with him over the past years. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'll just watch over and give the words that needed to be said uh, to those that'll be speaking to the families. Now, God bless all of our sick and afflicted, those, Lord, that are going through trying times, financial difficulties, job loss, Father, uh, family problems, and health issues. We lift them up, and we pray especially for the lost, that salvation may come their way. In Jesus' marvelous, mighty name, as, Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the Word of God. Amen. Okay. Now, after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, we see. And he said, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because of the Jews sought to kill him. And so what we see is these were the conditions that were taking place here in Nazareth. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, during this time, uh, after these things, Jesus had walked in Galilee, but he would not walk in Jewry or Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, it was the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles that was at hand. And so Galilee was in the region of the old tribes of Naphtali, Zebulon, and Iskar. Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, Cana, Magdala, Chorazin, were the towns that were in Galilee. And so the celebration of the tabernacles, we see the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. That means that six months had passed. And so we read back in John chapter 6, verse 4, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. This took place in the first month, the 14th day, but the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the most favorite and most popular of all of the, of the Feast of Celebrations. It took place in the seventh month, October, and the 15th day. Now, we don't know what took place in this, in this six-month period. This time was a very difficult time for the Lord. There was a lot of opposition and more public and more intense. And according to Josephus, the Feast of the Tabernacles, as it was one of the most popular because the harvest of olives and grapes were brought in for the, for the feast. And it lasted seven days straight. This feast was one of the three required feasts, Passover and Pentecost, were the other two feasts, and every male within 15 miles of Jerusalem was required to attend the festival. And so the feast looked back to Israel's journey through the wilderness, looked forward to the promised kingdom of the Messiah, and the Jews would live in booths in this festival. Each day, the priest would carry the water from the pool of Salaam and pour the water from a golden vessel, and it was a reminder of the water that came from the rock in the wilderness. The temple area was illuminated by menorahs, and candlesticks which would illuminate the entire city 
and they were a reminder of a pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness, amen. And so I'm glad that when we look at this, we see also that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem in secret. And then his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go in Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, shew thyself to the world. Now, here was a challenge of the brothers, because his brethren therefore said to him, You know what? You need to depart and go into Judea, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, that they may see the works that thou doest. These brothers of Jesus, Mary gave birth to other children after the Lord was divinely born. And I'm glad that for 30 years, these young men grew up with the Lord, their oldest half-brother. And they really did not know the Lord or believe in him at this time. And, and so they challenged Jesus to leave remote Galilee and go to Jerusalem and do his miracles. And they said, show yourself to the world was what they were really saying. And the Jews believed that the Messiah would appear in Jerusalem, but the Galileans were known to be hot-blooded and hot-headed, and getting a, a, a follower following was easy, but in Jerusalem, it was a greater challenge. And so here, they're in Nazareth. And, and so Jesus is going to say that the world hates him for exposing its sin. And so we see here, he says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. And so the unbelief and the opposition of the brothers of Jesus that were against Jesus himself, amen. How sad that it is that we look today. Jesus was aware of, the, of his time or his father's timing that was in his life. And so the word hour or horror means a destined hour of God. It was not movable or avoidable because it had to be accepted without argument or alteration because his father's mission plan must be fulfilled. And so I'm glad when we look at all of the Feast of the Tabernacle pictures here, amen, of all the booths, we see in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40, the ethrog on the first day, you must take for yourself a fruit of the citron tree. I'm glad that the, the lula, literally the palm branch, a collection of palm, myrtle, willow branches used to, in the commandment to rejoice the Lord during Sukkoth, here was one that was uh, put together. And of all of the things that it represented, here as we look at uh, the luva, and, and, and so when we see this, the large menorahs during the Feast of the Tabernacles uh, that were huge, we saw some out down uh, close by the outside of the Wailing Wall when we were there in 2008. And the Feast of Tabernacles provided the setting for the Jesus Proclamation. I am the light of the world. These menorahs were 50 cubits tall, 73 feet, 73 feet or 22.25 meters, and they illuminated the temple. And so the ethrog uh, is, is then turned right side up and shaken with the lava, uh, and each day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the people in the temple, courtyard, would hold their uh, lubas and make a circular procession around the altar. And on the first day, six days, they would march around the altar one time. 
on the seventh day, they would march around it seven times. Traditionally, Psalms 27 is recited at the service of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it goes around and they would sing, please save or save on. And so I'm glad that when we look at this, we see uh, how that it was back in the days of Jesus, the pouring out of the water from the pitcher and the priests that take the water from the uh, pool of Siloam and how that they would go all the way here around the pool and come and follow it all the way up into the temple, amen, uh, from Siloam up to the temple. And so uh, the meaning of the feast, Jesus tabernacled against men. He's the water of life, the light of the world. Sukkoth also represents the messianic kingdom, a time when Jesus our king will be among us again. And so that ritual water pouring was continued for six days and concluded the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this last day, it was called the day of the great Hosanna, Hosanna Rabbah. And the word Hosanna means to save now and apply it to the feast became Hosanna, which looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so I thank God they poured from the two golden vessels. First, the golden vessel of water was filled at the water of Siloam and taken to the altar Next, another golden vessel was to be filled with wine, and they both would be poured together into the basin, and the mixed water and wine would flow down a conduit, which carried the water to the brook of Kidron, located across from the eastern wall. And so, we look, as we continue on, with the disbelief that Jesus encounters in Nazareth. And so, when we look at this, the word time that's coming up here uh, of the ridicule, the response of it, in verse 6, we see, then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. When we look at the word time, kairos, which means opportunity, the best time to do something, a moment when circumstances are most suitable, the time to go to the feast was not the best time yet for Jesus. Jesus was careful to get his guidance from God the Father. And Jesus, as he did this, his guidance was not from men, but he avoided the unnecessary trouble and conflict that could bring injury to others in the crowded streets. And so the spiritual discernment is needed to know God's timing. The Bible gives a number of insights about the timing of God, that God's timing provides a daily bread. What about the window, the, the widow of Zarephath? Boy, she was scraping the bottom of the barrel of meal. When Elijah came to her home and began to bless her and bring a miraculous provisions of needs for her. Amen. The Shulamite woman, she was about to go bankrupt when God sent Elisha the prophet just in the nick of time. God is always on time. The feeding of the 5,000 in chapter uh, uh, 6. Amen. At the end of the day, I'm glad Jesus provided uh, everything they needed. Amen. To give them lunch. Hagar and Ishmael had been dismissed from the camp of Abraham as they traveled across the desert. Their provision of water was depleted. But as they lay dying in the desert land, Hagar cries out to God, and the Lord provides a well of water for her. And so God's timing provides direction. Amen. I'm glad that it always does. It provides destruction to the wicked. Uh, it provides uh, deliverance. Amen. And I'm glad that when we look and realize of all the people in the Bible, praise God, that went through different times, we're reminded of one of the greatest timing of all during the British Army at uh, Dunkirk, that and during World War II, the British Expeditionary 
uh, force had been forced into a retreat that left them trapped on the shores of Dunkirk. The Nazi army would have annihilated uh, this army if they had remained there, but England's King George VI called for a national day of prayer as a very risky evaluation was begun on May the 26th and would last for 10 days. The weather during this time behaved oddly in answer to the prayers that were going up to the Lord. And when the docks were opened to hinder the advance of the German army, the winds blew in from the sea, aiding the opening of these docks. Had the winds continued to blow in from the sea, however, they would have wrecked many of the tiny boats and small vessels that were rescuing the soldiers. But the winds blew as they needed to blow uh, uh, in from the sea. And I thank God where they were needed and when they were needed to facilitate the rescue. And when the winds were not needed, they did not blow. That is the power of prayer. That is the timing of God. Hallelujah. And so I'm glad that Jesus said, in my time is not yet come, but your time is already. And so thousands of troops were rescued in this flotilla of little boats because the waters of the English Channel were like glass, still as a pond, and this un was unusual for the end of May. And when they are normally very rough and stormy, and I'm glad that the advantage to the rescue was the fog that rode in at the very crucious time, that dangerous moments covering their escape from enemy eyes. God's timing is controlling the weather that was perfect and delivering a nation that was looking, amen. And I thank God to him for help. And so I'm glad that God has his own plan and will and his people in the right place at the right time to carry out his will. Boy, thank God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, amen, the Bible says. Jeremiah says, O Lord, I know the way of a man is not in himself, and it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Boy, I th I'm glad that each and every one of us, when we look and realize what the Lord is wanting to do, he goes on, he says, Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee, amen. And so it goes on, and he says, But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. And so we see here that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, where many secretly discuss him. And so out of all of this caution, as he travels undetected, keeping a low profile, possibly by traveling, on the back roads, we see the conflict over Christ because the people murmured and they debated the character of Jesus of whether he was a good man or whether he was a deceiver. And you know what? Many people to this day debate that very same thing. Is Jesus who he says he is? Deception was a serious charge resulting in a stoning offense if you were found guilty in that time. No one spoke openly on Christ's behalf for fear of the Jews. Fear struck uh, each and every one of them. And so the disbelief that Jesus encounters in Nazareth in verses 1 through 10, amen, the ridicule and the response, amen. But look, as we continue on, secondly, not only did we see the disbelief that Jesus encounters in Nazareth in verses 1 through 10, but secondly, the division Jesus encounters in Jerusalem in verses 11 through 53. Jesus receives a mixed reception while attending the festival of shelters. 
the reaction to the Savior, praise God, from the people themselves. Some feel that he's a good man in verses 11 and 12. Some feel that he's a deceiver in verse 13. Others feel that he's demon-possessed in verse 20. And then some feel he's just like an ordinary man. Some thinks he's a prophet. Others feel that he's the Messiah. And so this is from all of the people themselves, the reaction to the Savior and the response from the Savior. Here we look and we begin to realize that he gets, says in verse 11, Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? In verse 12, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He's a good man. Others say, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Goes on, How about no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews? We see that he goes up to Jerusalem where many secretly discuss him. And uh, as we look at this, we begin to realize that it's a challenge to each and every one of us as we go through life. Jesus arrived in the middle of the feast, and this was the best time because the Jewish people marveled at his knowledge of the scriptures, and the issue of doctrine was addressed, amen. I'm glad that here in verse 14, and about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Amen. And verse 16, and Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine, notice, is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And so the religious leaders object that Jesus isn't educated. And I'm glad that when we do God's will, it gives discernment about Christ's doctrines. I'm glad that everyone's teaching stands or falls by the fruit that it produces in the lives of those who embrace it. I'm glad that when you take a good example of Darwin's theory of evolution, Darwin taught the survival of the fittest that, that you know what, that makes things right. But the law of the jungle was to rule the lives of mankind. From this type of mentality, which was so wrong, that was so false, was what changed the mentality of Adolf Hitler embracing the teaching of Darwin's theory of evolution, which is a bunch of hogwash, and it was the heart of the Nazi philosophy, and that theory of the master race drew its inspiration from that evolution, and the result was the massacre of millions of Jews, blacks, gypsies, handicapped people, and Christians, all because of Darwin's theory of evolution. Yeah, I'm telling you the truth, and so the catalyst for the death camps and the gas chambers, amen, was evolution. The product that this teaching has produced, especially in our public schools today, condemns it. What you believe does affect your behavior and how you view yourself, others, and God. And so the Jewish leaders had stubborn wills, and they would not submit to the Lord. They lacked understanding because they were lost. And so what did Paul say? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And, and so, listen, here we look, and as we go forward, we see, as we continue on, he says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. He says in this verse 19, as the religious leaders object that Jesus isn't educated, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? You see, Jesus rebukes, rebukes them for 
hypocrisy because earlier they accused him of being untrained and unlettered. He now accuses them of being possessors of the law and yet untrue to its teaching because the law says do not murder. But they were preparing to do that very thing to him. And so we look and we realize that Jesus was uh, being accused of being mad and crazy and demon-possessed by men's standards. He might appear crazy. He chose a cross when he might have had power, but he was the suffering servant who had could have been the conquering king if he wished. He washed the feet of his disciples. And when he could have had men kneeling at his own feet, he came to serve when he could have subjected the world to servitude. Christ turns this the world's standards upside down. He told us to uh, get by giving and love our enemies and to forgive our offenders. And he brought sanity and love into the world that would that was filled with insanity, hate, greed, and selfishness. And so some people were mad at the Lord. Others were amazed that anyone even wanted to kill Jesus. Most people were trying to figure out what they believed. They wanted to kill Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. And he pointed out the inconsistency in the Jews. That if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, the surgery was still performed of the circumcision. And uh, exceptions were made, but not for Jesus, who made a man completely whole and well. And Jesus told them to judge righteous judgment. No response is given to the Lord's charge. Jesus rebukes all of our inconsistencies as well. And so we look and we realize that out of all the, the things that Jesus began to do, here we see the Lord is waiting for the right time to go. And the Feast of Tabernacles was taking place, and it was crowded with worshipers, amen. And here in verse 20, the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. And Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. I'm glad that the people object that Jesus is crazy and that he has a demon. But I'm glad only in verse 22 to 25, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? You see, they go ahead and do circumcision even when it falls on the Sabbath and they get on to Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath. It's like, you know what? Somebody needs to live and preach what they say they're preaching. And so I'm glad that every one of us, the Jews, believe that the Messiah would appear suddenly on the scene of history and they believe that he would uh, not be uh, from an earthly father. And so the Jewish people knew Christ came from and believed that he was the son of a carpenter, the son of Joseph. The Jews also knew that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. But Jesus grew up in Nazareth and they assumed that he could not be the Messiah because they thought that he was from Nazareth, but he was from Bethlehem. He was born, however, in Bethlehem. And how many times do people miss the truth for failure to investigate a matter thoroughly? Beloved and all of them that we look at the ignorance because Jesus says, you know me, but not the one who sent me. He's referring to God the Father. And so, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment, amen. Here, the people object that he's crazy, 
And then in verse 25, then said some of them of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? The people of Jerusalem object that Jesus could not be the Messiah because they know where he came from, how wrong they are, how messed up they are, that they cannot get any of it right. And so when we look at the, the, the thing that is taking place here, we see in verse 26, but lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? In verse 27, how about we know this man whence he is? But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Other words, they tried to find him and they couldn't. And, and so it's sad that when we look at all of the things in the Bible, God's plans are, are not interfered with. Your life is in God's hands and so is our death. And so I'm glad that when we look at all of these things, he goes on, then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, you both know me and you know whence I am and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. In verse 29, but I know him for I am from him and he has sent me. He's speaking of his father, God the Father. And so the people of Jerusalem object that Jesus could not be the Messiah because they, they say they know where he came from. But we go on. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? In verse 32, the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And I'm glad it goes on. Then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while am I with you. And then I go unto him that sent me. Here we see from the Pharisees, here in the crowd, uh, many believed on the Lord. They realized that he must be the Messiah because of all the miracles that he was doing. He had to be God. And they were right. We have the miracle of salvation with all of us today. Who else could change that thief? Who else could change the, 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 the prostitute, the drunkard, and the murderer? Who else could drink, uh, change the old drug addict or the religious sinner but Jesus himself? And so I'm glad when they try to apprehend Jesus, realizing that they may be losing their power, their influence, and control because of the faith of the crowd, the Pharisees and the chief priests set out to nip the problem in the bud, but Jesus was their problem. And he was a threat to their position. But we look and realize that here, uh, these verses reveal that Jesus knew his ministry would end soon, about six months. The grave would not conquer him. And some souls would be lost forever because of unbelief. But Jesus uses a very strong term when he says, you cannot come. And so I thank God uh, as, as he says this, uh, as we go on. Uh, each and every one of them, uh, as they look at this, as the officers try to arrest Jesus, as many believed in him, we see the offer because ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye can not come. Sin is not tolerated in the presence of a holy God. Some of these people would eventually learn too late that to lose an opportunity to be saved was to lose it forever once they died. And for this reason, it's vital that you put your faith in Jesus Christ before it's too late for your salvation today. Today is the day of salvation, amen. And so when we look and continue on, 
He tells us the officers tried to arrest him, but they couldn't because uh, he was about the father's uh, business and uh, he would vanish and be gone. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The great invitation that if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And I'm glad that each and every one of us, the Jews did not understand his message. And many times it's difficult for the lost to understand the message of the gospel and the scriptures. But I'm glad Paul said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Many have understood the gospel. Our responsibility is to share that gospel with the lost and to do our best to make it as clear as we can. And so I'm glad that when we do that, amen, uh, every one of us, uh, uh, realizing that uh, uh, the many of us can be a witness for the many that are out there right now. And, and so when we look at the invitation of Christ here, amen, on the first seven days of the Feast of the Tabernacle, the priest at dawn and the people joined in a joyful procession with a golden pitcher to the pool of Siloam. At the pool, they filled the pitcher with two pints of water and they went back to the temple. Through the entirety of chapter 7, you see the Feast of Tabernacles being celebrated. And the people march with palm and willow branches, and they enter the temple area at the water gate. And as quoted, uh, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, Wherefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. The water was poured out on the west side of the brazen altar as the temple choir sang. And they waved the palm branches at the end of the song. And the ceremony was a reminder of God's provision of water from the smitten rock in the wilderness. And it expressed gratitude for the rains. On the eighth day of the feast, they marched around the brazen altar seven times, commemorating their victory at Jericho. And when the people were hot, thirsty from the march, and the water was being poured out, that speaks of Jesus. I'm glad that every one of us is Jesus Christ's humility is the thirst quencher for all of us. He's the only one that can satisfy man's thirst. And Jesus said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The belly craves and desires satisfaction, but it is never satisfied permanently. I'm glad that Jesus tells us to drink of me and you'll be satisfied. And so when we look and realize in verses 38 down to 41, amen, uh, as we see the spring of salvation, amen, and that well springs up to fullness. The overflowing river, a vessel that will not overflow until it's full, praise God. Uh, water is for drinking, but it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit. And as water satisfies and produces fruit, the Holy Spirit does the same for all of us. Water is for washing, but it's also a picture of the Word of God, which cleanses us like water. And so, uh, but this he spake, he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the great invitation that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, praise God. And many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. 
but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? And so Jesus brings division among the crowd. There's a split crowd out there. They some yeas and they some nays. I always said when they were some nays, you go pray. Amen. <laughs> and so I thank God when we see the division that's taking place in Jerusalem in verses 11 all the way down to verse 53. Here, Jesus said that the people uh, do not keep the law of Moses. In fact, they want to kill him. But I'm glad that Jesus asserts that both healing and the circumcisers are permitted by law to be done on the Sabbath day. But Jesus tells them that he'll soon leave, but they will be unable to find him. And so Jesus offers streams of living water to all that are thirsty. And uh, Jesus makes the offer on the final day of the festival of shelters of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit that will soon uh, indwell all believers. We see, hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And I'm glad in verse 44, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. And then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have you not brought him? The failure of the attempted to arrest Jesus because God's timing was in place and it was not time for no one because he had to fulfill what the father's job and mission was him to fulfill. And so, and the officers answered, never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? And so, as they attempted to arrest, uh, arrest Jesus, he disappeared. In verse 48, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus said unto him, he that, that he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, the reaction was small stand for Jesus, but I can only imagine how Jesus felt when he said, man, he's not there yet, but he's almost there. He's saying something for me, praise God. And so here, the lastly, in verse 51 down to verse 53, doeth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? 52, they answered and said to him, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And lastly, in 53, and every man went unto his own house. Why? Because Christ had no home. And so uh, he went to the Mount of Olives in John chapter 8, verse 1. Every one of us, when we look and realize the message of Christ has an impact upon people in a number of ways. Amen. And so when we look, some were captivated by the message, not by his miracles. And nobody has ever spoken like him, they were saying. Here are some statements that grabbed their attention through the years, amen. But I'm glad that the words of Christ are changeless and eternal. They're comforting and considerate, commanding and exalted, celestial and energizing, confident and certain. Uh, I'm glad uh, that the comparisons are impossible. They're consecrated. And I'm glad that when we look at the Lord, no testimony was to be given to them or taken from them as we look at the people of the land, uh, they were considered accursed. And so the Pharisees looked down in contempt on the ordinary man. They believed only fools believed in Christ. And so when we look at the last, Nicodemus tries to defend the Lord. He also reminds them of the law. 
And so they rebuke Nicodemus. The tactic is in debate, but if you can't answer the argument, you attack the person. And the Pharisees forgot that the prophets did, did arise out of Galilee. Elijah was from Gilead. Jonah was from Gath Hefer. Nathan and Hosea were from this region. And so every man went unto his own house. Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Everyone went home and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Where is Nicodemus? Let me ask, will you leave Christ alone or will you invite him into your life? Because he's the one that can quench the thirst of all of our souls, praise God. And so when we look and we realize the reaction to Nicodemus that will stand out for Jesus, amen. We look and we see uh, that lastly that we come to the end. But of this, we are reminded of that living water. Because Jesus' disciples, they went to Judea for the Jewish festival of tabernacles. Jesus went in secret partway through the festival because the Jewish leaders were pursuing, seeking to kill him. And so Jesus spoke to the crowd on the last and the greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The practice that required the priest to walk from the pool of Siloam and pour out water at the base of the altar at the temple. And on the seventh day, there was that special ceremony. I'm glad Jesus used this event to reinforce the meaning of his words to the crowd. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Think about it. Parched and thirsty pilgrims could be refreshed only by the waters that Jesus offered. Not only would the, uh, they uh, drink the water that Jesus offered and be refreshed, but more than that, as Jesus added, whosoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. When we believe in Jesus, listen to me, we can be refreshed. But it also means that we can be a refreshment to others that are around us. And it can happen because the giver of refreshment and the source of the refreshment is God himself. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, who provides us with all that we need to flourish and to refresh others in our spiritual parched world that we have today. Let's pray. Father, may we all find you and Lord, may we crave you. Help us and guide us with the living water that you promised that will give us the thirst that will take care of the parchness of this old dusty world that is a desert land of evil and hostility and vulgarness and immoralities. May we run and not grow weary in the pursuit of you each and every day of our lives, Heavenly Father. Thank you so much, Lord. As we trust in you, we cling to your light. And Lord, as we celebrate uh, our lives of being a part of the family of God, I pray that you'll come into a lost sinner's life. Knock on their heart with convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, let them uh, be able to ask and step out on faith and take you at your word and be born into the family of God. In Jesus' marvelous, mighty name, amen. God bless you.